0: you're not already there, Romans 12, verses 3 to 8 will be where we focus our attention this evening. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we gather here this evening, truly our desire, even as we have just sung, is that we would see that day when the bridegroom is returning. We long for that day when our faith is made sight. When we worship face to face. What a glorious day that will be. And yet, Father, now you have left us here. And we pray that you would give us grace and strength for each day. We pray that as we serve you here, that we would serve faithfully that we would love one another. And even this evening, as we gather around the word of God, we pray that you would be honored, that you would be glorified in all that is said and done. I pray that you would give me boldness to proclaim the word of God with clarity. You'd be power in this hour, that you would be lifted up. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I am not a mechanic. I know very little about cars whatsoever. But over the last year, we have had two catalytic converters stolen off of our vans that are parked out in the church parking lot. I don't know what that means, but they tell me that's bad. They tell me that that makes the exhaust very loud as the the van drives. And it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't keep the van from running. But it does affect it. It's just a simple piece, a catalytic converter, something I'd never heard of in my life before I heard that it was stolen. But it plays an important role. In fact, an engine is made up of a bunch of little parts and pieces. And each of them have a purpose. They have a role. If they're not working together, the engine will not run. Like I said, I I know nothing about cars. I know nothing about engines. So whenever I have a problem, I call my brother-in-law, who knows a lot about engines. And I'll say, hey, Peter, I've got this issue. It's making this sound. Well, what about this? What about that? It could be this, 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 or that. There's all these different things, because there could be little different things that are wrong, that are causing that. The same is true, as we'll see this evening, of a body. Our bodies have much, many little pieces, little things, and big things that work together. And the same is true of the church. We're continuing with our, ser- our series, One Another, our theme for the year. And last week, or last month, we looked at the first two verses of Romans 12 well-known verses, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We've heard that passage many times. We know that passage. We love that passage. And yet, I've often heard those two verses preached just on their own. Which I understand when you're preaching, you can't, you can't cover the whole chapter. And it's necessary to do that. But, but really, as we move into verse 3 through 8, and then in the following month, in the following fast, you'll see that that truth is followed through with very practical application that Paul gives us. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? I understand that it's my reasonable service. I understand I should do that. But what does it mean? What does it mean to, be, to, to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of my mind? What does that mean? What does that look like? It's interesting, as Paul moves forward in this chapter, and he explains what that looks like, he deals with relationships. We are relational people. The evidence of being a Christian, the evidence of being in Christ, should be seen in our relationships. And that's exactly where Paul goes. And this evening as we look at Romans 12, verses 3 to 8, we see the call to be humble. A right view of others flows from a right view of self. As we work our way through this passage, we'll see quickly, think right, see right, and act right. And the first thing we see is think right. Romans 12, 3. For I say, Paul says, I say... Through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. I say, through the grace given to me. It's interesting there that Paul is going to address humility. And when he says, to the grace given to me, he's really talking about to his position as an apostle. I am speaking to you out of my authority as an apostle, called by Jesus Christ to this role, given this authority. And yet as he addresses that, he he mentions it in a very humble way, which is appropriate because he's about to talk about humility. He says, for I say, through the grace given to me. Paul understands he does not deserve to be an apostle. He's not an apostle because he's better than anyone else. He is an apostle because that is what God has called into and that is what God has equipped him for. And in that role, with that authority, he will be faithful, which is what he's doing here. So, through the grace given to me, the authority as an apostle given to me by God, by grace, I say. Well, who's he talking to? Look what it says. So I say, through the grace given to me, To everyone. He's speaking to all of us. To every single one. Regardless of how old you are. Regardless of how involved you are in church. Regardless of whether you're in Bible college. Or if you teach in Bible college. Regardless of if you pastored for 40 years. Or if you are newly saved. I say this to everyone. Everyone. No one is, an ex- is exempt from what Paul is saying. I am part of everyone, and you are part of everyone. I say to everyone who is among you, this is the message. Paul is speaking by authority, he's speaking to everyone, and this is what he says. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And that's our natural tendency, is it not? We tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We tend to give ourselves excuses that we don't give to others to show ourselves grace. Well, I, you know, I'm late, but it's, it's I know why. It makes sense whether someone else is late. We don't show them that grace. We tend to think that we deserve things. This is my right. It's what I deserve. I should be treated this way. I shouldn't be treated that way. We are proud people, are we not? And it is so easy. In fact, it, uh, it is our natural tendency to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We all tend to do it. In fact, we tend to do it without even meaning to do it. You'll, you'll all of a sudden recognize, wow, that, that sounded really prideful. It's not that you set out to do that. It just it happens. It's your natural tendency. And Paul is saying here, fight that. Don't think of yourself in this way. Recognize that that is the way which your mind naturally goes. That is your natural tendency. Recognize that and act against it. In fact, this is how you should think, but think soberly. Don't think more highly of yourself Think soberly. What does that mean? What does it mean to think soberly? What is sober? Well, sober is controlled. It's to have the, the right perspective, not an extreme. So don't think more highly than you ought. Rather, think rightly. Control your thoughts. In this way control that natural pride that would spring forth not to extremes have a right perspective about yourself don't think too highly of yourself rather have a right perspective of yourself see yourself rightly Pride has no place in a gospel-saturated life. In fact, it's very hard to be proud when I rightly understand and apply the gospel to myself, is it not? When I look to the Word of God, when I see my great God, when I see how glorious He is, how big He is, how gracious He is, how merciful He is to me, When I read a passage like we read this morning in Isaiah 6, where it describes the Lord high and lifted up, when we get that that vision, that picture in our minds of how great our God is, when we are moved by His love, by His grace shown towards us in Christ, even as we come to the Lord's table as we did this evening, it's hard to be proud. Because when I see God rightly, I see myself rightly. As I see my God high and lifted up, as I see His greatness, His glory, how big and powerful He is, I see how weak I am. I see how unholy, how sinful I am, how unrighteous I am. I see how limited I am, how unglorious I am. I see how sinful I am. Humility, however, is not the act of self-degradation. Humility is not the result of self-degradation. Humility is not just putting myself down and just being depressed about myself. Humility is not the purposeful act of self-degradation, but humility is the result of God's elevation. Humility is not purposely looking at myself badly, putting myself down. Humility comes as a result of seeing God rightly through the word of God. Seeing myself rightly through the word of God. Humility is a proper view of self in relation to God and scripture. And this is important. Because I think we can tend to, when we talk about humility, we can tend to swing too far to the other side. It's important to understand that humility is not self-hatred. Self-hatred is the opposite extreme of pride. Humility is not seeing myself as greater than I should, but humility is also not seeing myself as less than I should. Humility is seeing myself rightly. It's seeing myself properly, soberly, not to the extremes but properly in relation to who God is in relation to what Scripture says that I am. Because I am a sinner. I am small. But God loves me. It's important to understand that. It's important to understand that humility is not just self-hatred. It's seeing myself rightly and everything that Paul builds from this passage starts right here don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think but think about yourself soberly don't don't give in to the two extremes, to self-hatred or to pride don't give in to those two extremes, see yourself rightly according to scripture and according to who God is And as you see yourself rightly, look what he says, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And this leads right into where we're going next in verse 4.
1: A measure of faith
0: there is not necessarily saving faith, it's not what he necessarily has in mind, but it's the gifts and abilities that you have that are provided by God. That phrase leads into verses then 4 to 8, which is where we'll go next. Think right, Secondly, see right. Think think of yourself soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. As God has properly equipped each one. He has given you the things that you need to accomplish what he has called you to do. Recognize that the gifts, the abilities that you have are not because of you. They're because God has given them to you. And when you understand that, that then leads to verses 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. This is the illustration we opened with. A car or a body. You have fingers, you have toes, you have a heart, you have a head, you have a nose, you have a mind, you have a knee. These are all different, but they're part of one body. They're working together. They're accomplishing a goal that the body may function. They don't all have the same function. So we, as the church, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That's important to understand. In the church, God brings together people with different Gifts or functions to work together for the glory of God. To make the church function. And each member is important. If you've ever injured your knee, you know how important a knee is. If you've ever stubbed your big toe, you know how important your big toe is. If you've ever broken a finger and you had to wear a splint, you know how important the finger is. How much you can't do. I have weak ankles. I've, I've had them my entire life. And, and believe me, I know how important an ankle is. I'll just be walking on flat ground and all of a sudden my ankle will just give out. It will twist. And it hurts. And it affects my whole day. It affects how I walk. It affects if I do that or not. It's just an ankle, it's just a finger, it's just a toe, but it's important. It serves a purpose. And so, in the body of Christ, there are individual members of one another. And every single one of us is important. One body in Christ, individually members of one another. I think that's important, that last phrase, individually members of one another. This might sound wrong to say it this way, might sound kind of self-serving, but the reality is that it is in our best interest to care for one another. If we're all part of the same body, then it's in that body's interest to care for one another. A finger does not spite a toe because the finger needs the toe to get where the finger needs to go. It's in that finger's best interest that that toe is functioning rightly. And so it is in the body of Christ. It is in our best interest to care for one another. We are all in the same body, members of one another. We are all invested in each other because we are all in the same body. See rightly. Think rightly about yourself. Understand who you are in Christ. But then see rightly. See, as I understand what Paul says in verse 3, as I understand, as I think rightly, soberly about myself, then I am able to serve, to see the body rightly. As I understand that, that I am been placed in this body In the body of Christ, the church, I've been given a role, a function, so others have roles and functions. As I see myself rightly, I see them rightly. And then verse 6 to 8. Act right, therefore, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, which ties back to verse 3, that God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, He's given you the gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. He's given us what we need to do, what He's called us to. Since you have that, use it. So what He says right there. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. You are equipped. Use what God has given you. He goes on to list several. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts and exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Paul's focus in these verses is not on what your gift is. He lists several. In other passages, he lists other gifts. His point here is not, what is your gift? His point is that you have a responsibility to exercise whatever it is that God has given you. Whatever it is that he has gifted you with, use it, exercise, get involved, serve. Now, this is not an excuse to limit your service. It's not an excuse to say, well, yeah, I'm free Saturday, and they need people to rake at the church, but I don't think raking is my gift, so I don't have to do that. How do you know? Show up and try. There's a willingness that's involved to this. If, if, if I see myself rightly, soberly, If I'm not thinking too highly of myself and I see others then rightly, then I'm going to show up and I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to look for opportunities. This passage is not meant to limit what you do. It's meant to open up tons of opportunities. Look for opportunities. Jump in. Get involved. See what God does. When I view myself rightly, I am able to serve the body effectively. Be humble. Think rightly about yourself. See yourself according to Scripture. See yourself in relation to God and what He says about you. Let that form your thoughts. Let that inform you of who you are and what God has called you to. Recognize that He has equipped you, He has gifted you, and then get to work. Think right about yourself. See the body rightly as you think rightly about yourself and others. And then act rightly. So an application, as you look at these verses. First, clean your glasses. I actually enjoy wearing glasses. But it does have its downfalls you're trying to walk in the rain or in snow when you get where you're going you have to pause take them off and clean them if you're trying to wear a mask with your glasses you can't see it fogs up you have to get it just right and if you can't see rightly then you can't accomplish what you're trying to do so I would say to you with Paul here to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought pause this evening pause and clean your glasses. Make sure that you are seeing clearly. See yourself rightly according to Scripture, in relation to God. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Think of yourself soberly. Maybe even as we've looked at this passage, maybe the thought has crossed your mind, well maybe maybe I'm not thinking soberly of myself. Start Recognize the tendency in yourself to think more highly than you ought and prepare for it. Think rightly. This is not something that is done passively. It's something that is done actively. Think rightly about yourself. Think soberly about yourself. Clean your glasses. Secondly, open your eyes. Look around you. You're not the only person in this church. And everybody in here who God has called here, God has equipped. You have a purpose, you have a role, they all have a role. What can you do to aid one another? To encourage one another? Open your eyes. Not just to the people that God has put in, but open your eyes to the reality. That God has equipped you for what God has called you to. Let that give you boldness to act. Boldness to serve. And that's the last one. Finally, the last point of application. Get to work. Serve the body of Christ. Serve one another. View yourself right. Right. Open your eyes to those around you and see them right and then get to work serving the body of Christ. You say, what can I do? Do something. Find something to do. Maybe it's as simple as going around and and picking up hymnals off the ground after. Maybe it's helping with the coffee cart. Maybe, you feel that God has equipped you to teach. Maybe it's coming and saying, hey, pastor, I'd be interested in teaching. How do I go about that? I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with you. Maybe it's, hey, Hey, Jim, I know that you've been running um, men's prayer breakfasts. You know, I think maybe I could do that. Let me try. Not that you need to be taking away jobs from other people, but there's something that you can do. There is not a person in this church who has nothing to do but to come and sit. Find a way to get involved. Find a way to serve others. See yourself rightly. See others rightly. Serve the body.